Welcome back to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. And before we get started, we want to remind our listeners that the material in this podcast can sometimes be pretty difficult for people to hear. So we want to remind you that there are resources to reach out to, talk to friends, talk to family members, even anonymous hotlines if you need to. And there are also resources on the Take Back the Night Foundation website. We'll give you that address at the conclusion of this podcast. Um, thank you so much, Claire, for you know giving us that reminder. So always important. And next, as we always do, we are so fortunate to have someone read a letter that came to me in my journey as a survivor, someone who reached out, someone who shared their own personal narrative. Welcome to our Dear Katie Letter Writer. Dear Katie, red was my favorite color. It was bright, deadly, and oozed passion. My cape hung around me, already ripped a bit, for this was not my first journey into the woods. One day I came across a sheep by the name of Bee. He was sweet, with kind words and loving eyes. I loved my sheep, and he loved me, or so I thought. His wolf side began to show through. He'd beg me for pictures, paw at my clothes, back me against walls, and didn't listen to the word no. I walked to church with a shredded red cape now completely torn apart, rags and nothing more. When I presented my cape to my fellow church villagers, my wolf once again became a sheep. The villagers accused me and mocked me, making me fall silent. My terrible, dangerous wolf, now turned sheep, was able to walk free. His mother protected her lamb and made me out to be the wolf. The villagers chased me out of town, out of church, away from safety. Every day, I live in fear that if I'm not careful, I will come across another wolf in sheep's clothing. Wow, always so very powerful um, to hear from someone whose narrative oftentimes was, you know, 20, 30 years ago before we had so many improvements in laws and policies here in the United States. And Today, we're so pleased to have with us another powerful survivor, someone who's going to share their journey, share their walk um, with all of us to help us take our own walks and support and end sexual violence. Charlene, my gosh, tell us all a little bit about you and where you're from and you know, just a snippet to paint a picture of you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. Um, my name is Charlene. I am from Pennsylvania. I am now 65 years old. I am married. I'm a mom. I'm a grandmom. And um, I'm ready to tell my story. Oh, my gosh. Charlene, that's huge. <laughs> the, the, there was a great grandma once in Montana who wrote to me when I was on the cover of Time. And I'm always so 
open and welcoming to all of these narratives in your story is so important and also historically important as to where we were when colleagues, your friends, your parents, the teachers, everyone around you could have noticed what happened. So what brings you the story to your mic right now? Like what happened when you were so young? Well, one of the, the earliest memory I can remember was a man who was a family friend of my family's who owned a gas station nearby. Um, I was very young, so I, I didn't really understand why he was the family friend, um, but he seemed to be around our home a lot. Um, I remember in elementary school that the school bus always picked me up in front of that gas station and always dropped me off. Um, I was always a very shy kid, uh, didn't, did not have an outgoing personality. Um, so I always felt like I was in the middle somewhere, like lost in the middle, like I didn't fit in. Charlene, could I just, like, I'm visualizing the situation, and I think so many of us have familiarity with the bus stop. So this gas station, I just wanted to give our, our listeners a couple more details. Were you alone at the bus stop? Did you have siblings? Were you the only one at that stop? And how important did it feel at the time? Like, was it, oh my gosh, this is, you know, a business? Like, give us a little bit more about what, it, you know, where you were at that age. And so you were in fifth grade, you said, or fourth grade? Um, probably fourth grade. It's very, very hard for me to remember um, ages, but I know I was in elementary school. Probably just eight or nine years old. Yes. I was very afraid um, to go to the bus stop. Um, so right away, by like the first week, I would like cry every day. I didn't want to go. And so I became like the troubled child, like you're just giving us a hard time, go to the bus stop. My other siblings did not go to the bus stop with me. They were older than me or not in school yet because I have two younger siblings. Charlene, so were you afraid? Were you afraid to go there because of what happened? Or is this just you were afraid to be there because of the kind of feeling of the place? I think I was just afraid because of um, not having anyone familiar with me. Like I wasn't walked to the bus stop like I do with my grandchildren and my children. Um, you pretty much, you were on your own. If you, from, you know, first to fifth grade, you went on your own. So I always felt uneasy because I was always a very quiet, shy kid. And some somehow, and I cannot remember how it happened, though the gas station was familiar to me because I saw it every single day. So I wasn't afraid to be at the gas station. Um, but then one day, it just happened where the owner came up to me when I got off the bus and all I could smell was like, the oil from the gas station and saw the dirt under his hands and he was older. And back then you were taught you respect your elders. 
and he brought me into the back room of the gas station and was telling me how pretty I was and that I, I was so special and that he knew my family so well. And because I had seen him before with my family, I believed him that he was a good friend of my family. The next thing I remember was a heavy, solid door closing behind me, and I was trapped. And that's when I think I froze, and I didn't move. And the next thing I remember is he was he took out a Polaroid camera, and he said, I'm going to watch you as you develop as a child because you are so pretty. I did, had no idea what that meant. I don't remember moving. I kept, I know I kept my head down. I didn't say a word. I was the kid that always had their head down. And I'm learning now <laughs> that's not a good thing to do because it made him believe that I would do whatever he asked. So I remember him telling me, you need to remove your shirt so I can take a picture as you grow. And I didn't move. I was frozen. And I just remember that flash of that camera, the light, just over and over again, the flashing I, I do know that it became a regular occurrence. I do know that it proceeded to go from my shirt off to my pants off and then touching a lot of the things. I think back then I learned how to dissociate and that was my way to get through it all. And I learned it well. Do you remember how you felt um, when this was happening? You said you froze, but do you remember any other sensations in your body? I can remember the beginning of the abuse. I can remember being taken in the back room. I can remember feeling how heavy that door was when it closed. I didn't have a way out. And now, looking back, I dissociated when I was there. Um, I, I can remember being back home afterwards. I don't know how I got out of the back room, how I got home. Um, and this was a regular thing. And because of that, and me developing... The dissociation um, is the only reason that I can speak today about it because I had a trauma break where I would have kept all these secrets I never would have told. And I used to help other people try to tell their story about abuse or if they were being abused in any way. And I never connected it with me. I always thought I could handle it. I was going to take it to my grave because I was so fearful for my life 
What made you fearful? What did he threaten you? He threatened me that he knew that my one of my parents was very ill and that he was going to take care of them and us. And if I told anyone, we would not be taken care of if I lost a parent at that young age. And one of my siblings started working for him. And even if I tried to say something, like I don't like him, my siblings would get mad at me. Like, how dare you talk against him? He's a family friend. So I learned not to speak at a very young age. My opinion didn't matter. I was told I had to like him. So I stayed quiet for years, for over 50 years, because I'm 65 now. Oh, my gosh, your courage is I'm beside myself with your courage. Because, you know, Pennsylvania is a state, people don't know it very well, but there's a lot of nooks and crannies. And there's a lot of small towns and communities where silence is just the norm. Shalene, you're picking up on, I think, this this small town problem of rape and abuse. You know, everyone says it. I, what I hear you saying is someone said it's not it's not rape, it's not abuse, it's not wrong. You're pretty. I even like the idea that someone, including your abuser, was like, oh, you're so pretty. And when we're so young, we've been raised to think pretty is the summit of our existence. I know myself, if someone said you're pretty, I never thought I was pretty. And if someone says you're pretty, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky that even someone labeled me in that way. And so all they, I feel like everyone, all the narrative around you, including that of your abuser, was so perfectly, you know, positioned to say, I'm going to fool you. I'm going to pull you in. I'm going to make you believe and I'm going to make you be silent and make you go along with what I want. But now, 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 if we take the journey forward as we start to work into the help we can give to everyone else, when you go back to that place, I I want you to think about where you were and what buy-ins, they're still relevant, right? If someone says you're pretty, or you're smart, you could still fall, you know, into a trap. When you go back, because you're so wise, when you go back, what are the things you start to be like, oh my gosh, it was all rigged? I think for me, the, the unfortunate thing was I was not a child who had unconditional love. I was not a child who Somehow I got missed in the middle um, because I have older siblings and younger siblings. So I never really mattered. So when this man would give me a compliment, that was attention. I was getting attention that I never had. Um, I learned about sex 
inappropriately. I had never heard the word. I didn't know what it was. I, I do know now that I never really had an appropriate sexual relationship because of that abuse. I was, I was taught by a pedophile. He, he knew exactly what to do. And uh, by the time I had gotten to middle school, I was given money. I was given food. It was like, instead of being taken care of by my family, this man was taking care of me. But at the same time, he was hurting me. And I did not know the di- I didn't realize the difference. I became... I became a person that, and I say it today, I had no personality. I didn't know what my likes and dislikes were. I didn't have a favorite color. I didn't have a favorite food. I did everything I was told. And the rest of the time I was quiet. How long did this go on? Until the end of middle school. So I was going into ninth grade. And then I guess I was too old. And how did it, how did it come to an end? Do you remember what stopped it? By the time I was finished middle school, I was never asked getting on and off the bus. I, he was never around. I was never asked to come back, never brought me back into the office and I stayed away and stayed quiet for year for years. And I didn't have support from my family because they didn't believe me. You say they didn't believe you. So you told them. When did that happen? Well, I told my, when I was in high school, I had told my older sister that he took pictures of me. I didn't say anything about the sexual abuse. She did not think that was a big deal. She said, you don't want to get your brother fired from his job. So I kept quiet. So your brother was working for him? Yes. So if for the, for the listeners to understand how this, this happened, and, and this is not unusual, he started by taking pictures of you. When did the physical abuse begin? I think it was pretty quick. He would... Um, I was definitely not in middle school yet. I was not developed in any way. He would start to touch me inappropriately. Um, He would masturbate. I was way too young, so he never tried to penetrate me. But when I got into middle school, he did. And that's really what I learned about sexual contact. That I was a thing. That's what I felt like, a thing. And that I wasn't worth anything else. And I spent most of my life doing what I was told to do. And when it was over, I would go back home. I did not get an education. I remember 
hiding in the bathrooms, not going to class, not one person in that school, not one, help me, not a counselor, not the principal, no one. And Charlene, do you think there were any, there must have been signs and symptoms, but back then probably no one had training. If you could say like, here's what you should have noticed, give me two or three things that you should have noticed. Uh, When a small child is acting out, it's not because they're bad. It could be something bad happening. If a child is crying and does not want to go to school every day, does not want to go to the bus stop alone, please listen. There's a reason. Because I look at my kids and my grandkids and they love going to the bus stop. And they love the bus ride to and from school. Uh, Instead of asking what's wrong, I was labeled the troublemaker. If your child's sad, I was sad every single day. I wouldn't eat dinner. I would sit on the couch and I could see my family sitting at the dinner table. And I was sitting in a chair. Like when, when children act out, something's wrong. Did anyone ask you what's wrong? No, never. Yeah, let, let, let's, um, I think, Claire, let's talk with Charlene. You've shared so much of this so important narrative. Your personal story is so empowering and so sad and, and so important, um, historically, especially how far we may or may not have come, because my fear is. Sometimes there's people in this day and age who are still missing those marks. Um, But tonight's a little bit about you, a lot about you, Charlene. So um, I I have two questions and then think upon and we can do one in a turn is clearly you're now at a different space and place and you have a partner, you had children, you have grandchildren. Um, I I would like to hear a little bit about two things related, especially first to your partnership, your love, romance. How do you think what happened to you and, you know, affected your ability to be vulnerable, to be sexual with someone else? Um, to me, I learned up until 2012, I was an actress. I would dissociate. I wasn't really there. It was to me, it was a duty and you did it. And when you were finished, that's it. You go back to whatever you're doing. And I did that as an actress and I played the part really, really well until, you know, my body couldn't keep it in anymore. And what happened? What what does that mean when you say your body couldn't keep it in? Well, I have a granddaughter now who um, was a young teenager in 2012. I think she had just, actually, she was preteen. I don't know. I, I had a feeling like I think people that have suffered abuse can tell who's good, who's not good, Um your senses are sharper. 
and I sensed something wasn't right. And I think because she was so close to me and that I loved her so much, um, I think Pandora's box opened and I woke up and I did not recognize what my life was. It disappeared in front of me. I dissociated back to a seven, eight-year-old kid. Um, can you say a little, I mean, it's, did, I'm a little confused. So you're saying that something triggered this to happen. Do you know what that was? Yes. I, I think it was that I believed someone had inappropriately touched my granddaughter. And I guess my psyche couldn't handle it. And I woke up one day and I didn't, uh, I didn't know where I was. I, I didn't know how to do anything. I, I didn't know how to do my job. I, it, it was an unbelievable feeling and no one could figure it out. And so when that moment struck you, I'm just envisioning you have this gut feeling about your granddaughter. What did you do? Did you call her, text her? How the conversation go? Did you talk to her? What happened? She was living with me at the time. And I did talk to my daughter about it. I was, I remember I was really upset. Like I really felt something had happened. And I went to sleep that night, very upset. And when I woke up, I was a different person. I, I know it sounds unbelievable. It was unbelievable to us. Uh, we tried to figure out what was wrong. I, I got up. I cried every single morning for months and months and months. I've, I was at numerous doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. They diagnosed me with bipolar or you know, she's manic depressant. They couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't help them because I had lost all sense of what my current reality was. Now, had you, did you remember any of the stuff that had happened to you or had you completely blocked it out? I completely blocked it out. So then how, what was the breakthrough for you? What, what happened? Well, after... I'd say it was about a year. I was in that state for almost three years. I went to a crime victim center and I thankfully met a woman who was a trauma specialist for um, children of severe sexual abuse. And she, first thing she did was she tested me. She gave me like three different written tests and when she got all the results back, she said, you learned from a very young age how to dissociate from what was going on because I could only remember like part beginning of the abuse and some of the end, but I didn't know what happened in between. She did a lot of specialized therapy with me that was more customized because I was used to textbook therapy, I guess, where they tried to give you affirmations. But if you don't love yourself 
and you don't know yourself, you're not going to believe anything positive about yourself. So I started going to her. Um, It's been seven years now since I've been with her. Um, We did the EMDR, but we did it more specialized. We didn't do textbook. And that's where I actually learned that I knew I was in that office of that gas station. And I did not agree to remove my clothes. I did not agree to be touched or touch him. I was made to do it. He removed my clothes. He told me what to do. And at that point, I started to believe it wasn't my fault. And that started the whole process for me to heal. That for once, I didn't feel it was something I did or said or wore. So, Charlene, I feel like it was your gut was there all along. And then another spectacular voice came along and said, you are, your gut's right. And all of a sudden everything clicked, you know, everything came together and it was clear in your mind and your soul that you had to do something about this and speak out. And you're now with us on the podcast and thank goodness for that, that click. You know, I think sometimes the click and what I'm hearing you say is the click for you had to come from someone outside that immediate circle, which, you know, sometimes we have survivors who say everyone blamed them in their immediate circle. People look the other way. And yet you were able to trust another voice of reason to say, nope, it really happened. And let's dig in on what it was. And then the click happened. And now your conviction is clear. Um, So I kind of round out Claire for tonight to today, you know, for our listeners, Charlene, you are an amazing grandmother. And what um, one, I I just have two, two final questions. What, what would you leave to the next generation of mothers and grandmothers? Like, all the grandmas listening to us right now um, who may not have had the click that you have and the grandmothers who can also better guide their own grandchildren. What's your advice to them? Absolutely. If someone is getting, if a child is getting in trouble, if a child is misbehaving, there's a reason and to please investigate what that reason is. Give them unconditional love. Give them support. Good or bad, whatever they're doing, there's something very sad behind that action. Do whatever you can unconditionally to help that person. I I do it now at my grandkids' high school. Um, I talk to the security because they want to, they get down on the kids. Just like you said, Katie, we're not there yet because some of the schools are not helping the kids. They don't know what's happening once they leave the building. So that's my main thing. And my other thing is, is that education, you've got to be okay to talk about it. You've really got to be okay to talk about it. 
what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It's so brilliant. So, oh my gosh, Charlene, you've shared such a brilliant journey. And I, I, again, an indelible imprint on our historic narrative and what we have so much more to do beyond, you know, the years, your years and the years going forward and with schools. Um, I cannot thank you enough for, you know, sharing that with our listeners and for all of our listeners, you know, Charlene may not be from Pennsylvania like you, or or you may not be from Pennsylvania like Charlene, and you may not be 65 and you're not yet a grandparent, or maybe you're a great grandparent, but, you know, hopefully there was something Charlene shared in her strength and her journey and her reclaiming and that click that she had that all of us need to dig in just a little more. And clearly your voice has resonated so much, Charlene. Like you're now so empowered that you're talking to schools where your own grandchildren's grandchildren go to school, you know, talk to the officers, talk to the principals, talk to them about making sure that boundary training is a must and signs and symptoms of abuse are a must. And clearly you're an advocate in your way and your comfort zone and you do it so great so thank you um charlene for joining us and for our listeners again let you know let charlene's journey i hope inspire all of us to you know reach out a little bit more when we're ready and when when we're empowered to say who else can do more to make a difference so thank you thank you thanks charlene and claire claire any closing comments from you uh, you know, Charlene, this is so valuable. This is so important because what we know now, I mean, I'm about your age and what nobody was talking about that stuff when we were kids, nobody was talking about it. And um, that, you know, that nobody at the school helped you, of course not, because they wouldn't even know what they were looking at. And and kids who acted out, of course, they were bad kids or they were doing something wrong. And now we know that that trauma causes this kind of behavior, but schools still are kind of behind the, the eight ball and especially schools that have, for example, community service officers. Well, they're, they're trained as police. They're trained to respond to criminals. And so they look at little kids as little criminals. And we know now also people are doing research on kids who are acting out that schools cause as much, if not more trauma to kids than they get at home. So, um, you know, the trauma to prison pipeline, as some people call it. And I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned EMDR. Um, I just want to mention one thing to explain that for the listeners, too, because a lot of people aren't familiar with that, which is very effective in dealing with um, tra- traumatic memories. It's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a particular therapeutic technique, and it's really good for certain people with traumatic memories. It doesn't work for everyone, but but I think, you know, that was great that you, that worked really well for you. And you found someone who could help you identify what the issue was and help you work on those things. You know, it's never too late, you know, you're 65. So what, you know, it's, it's, you're, you know, you've re- rediscovered your life and you're, you're finding a new life and, and you're able to heal from those, those memories and look what you're doing with it. You're helping you're helping others, you're helping kids, you know, you're helping the schools learn to help children who are dealing with trauma. That, that's amazing. 
I think you're a, a wonderful example of how one can take um, a really an awful traumatic experience um, and to turn it around into something that is giving back to a community so that you can empower others to help prevent and also perhaps to intervene. And those are two different things, um, but it's they're both both important. And the schools are important there. Yeah, if I could add, I, I hear this a lot because I also um, have a, a Facebook page for survivors. And I was this person. Um, we always think it's only us. There's nobody else that this happened to. I hear it every single day. So what you're doing, um, just getting the word out there, it just helps others realize they're not alone. Thank you for gracing um, our, our stage and your microphone with your narrative. And for the Dear Katie podcast, all of our listeners, this has been just another journey, another episode. And thank you for joining us. So this is Katie Kessner and... This is Claire Kaplan, and just one reminder that if you need to access any resources at all, if you visit the takebackthenight.org, that is the um, our webpage where you can find a list of resources and information, uh, and it, this includes the legal support hotline. As you heard tonight, we're never alone. There are many walking with us in healing, in supporting survivors, and in ending sexual violence. And thanks again, Claire, for joining me and our work to end um, sexual violence and all of our listeners together. Our support of Charlene tonight, today, um, and going forward is part of that journey we take together to shatter the silence and end the violence. So thank you, and we welcome you back next week when we have another episode of Dear Katie.